We are Science Fiction Remnant, a podcast for sci-fi lovers spanning across books, movies, TV shows, and games. This is Season 1, Episode 38, Anime Battle Angel for March 6, 2021. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Science Fiction Remnant. Thank you so much for coming back. This means a lot to us. We hope that you find this episode as exciting to listen to as it was for us to create for you. If you like this show and know someone who might like this podcast, please share it. It would help us greatly in growing this channel. You can also follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Remnant and share any comments you have about this podcast with your friends and family. And before we continue with the show, here are our sponsors and collaborators. This podcast is a proud member of the Let's Chat Club. Find out how you can become a member by going to the website letschatpodcast.net. Well, everyone, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Remnant. Tonight, we're going to have a... Fun discussion about an anime that actually Robert likes very much, and I didn't know anything about, to be honest. Hi, Robert. Battle Angel. Um, this one I saw a while back. Um, and it, as an anime, this actually started a story for me. And, and, and I, this woken up some hunger that I did not know I have. And uh, we're going to bring a, a guest. Um, over to talk to us. Um, I consider him my expert in anything uh, Battle Angel. Uh, Max Stack, hello. Hey guys, how's it going? Greetings from Australia. Awesome. Awesome, yes. So, I did not know this um, anime and also the, the, the movie that we eventually saw. Um, had a manga, and I don't know how that escaped me. <laughs> so we might, you know, do an episode on the manga later on. Although Just we're gonna one. do, we're gonna do a lot of. If there's a lot of information, we can actually divide it into volumes. <laughs> yes, but for <laughs> now, which I would love. Worth of manga there, right? <laughs> for now, we're just gonna talk about the anime, um, especially the the. Um, the it's called uh, Battle Angel OVA, and this was actually released. Nineteen ninety three. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety three. It was uh, June 21, 1993. which I found very very curious. Um, what I remember from this, and I can't remember the year when I saw this. Um, I think I was in high school, uh, or maybe after I was in high school. I saw this as a six parts. The only thing that I can remember, maybe someone broke it up because when you look for this online, there's only part one and part two. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and Max, you, you actually brought that up too. You're, you're kind of curious to see what was it that I saw. And, and it makes sense that it was some, someone broke it up because when I remember seeing it, it was the episodes were really short. So I was just Ooh. like, come on, what is this? And then I was so painful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't imagine what it would have been like watching it as a six-parter because that means that it well it was it was made in two parts and each part matches the first two volumes of the manga mm -hmm. and um, I can't imagine what breaking up the first part into three would have done for the story. I mean, 
most stories have three acts, but it's only like they'd, they'd be ten minutes. Exactly. So mm-hmm. you'd barely get into it and it'd be over. And yeah, it'd be quite painful. Now that I saw the two part, and I can see, I can see that 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 I I watched this painfully. <laughs> because now that I watch it, you know, of course not now, but I mean, I rewatched it today. But I, I watched this, I believe, when you mentioned it um, a while back, uh, Max, and uh, it makes a lot more sense to watch it this way. And, and yeah. although I'm still, I still have hunger, and that's the reason why I'm reading. Okay. I'm going to read the manga. <laughs> the, the, it makes a lot more sense. I really wish that there will be some talk about actually continuation of anime. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that is up to Disney as far as I'm aware. So what we understand is that, uh, well, depending on who you, you, what you read and where you read it, and some of these may be misreported, but the, the understanding was for the longest time that um, uh, the rights were for the uh, animated version were uh, uh, bought by Fox. And the live action rights were actually bought by James Cameron. All right. So that could be what's holding up a sequel to the movie in that James Cameron controls the um, creative, has creative control of the live action. So he may be, you know, in the background fighting for a sequel where he keeps control and Disney don't, doesn't take it over and do their Disney thing. Damage yeah. it. They mess it up and butcher uh, it. <laughs> I, I, I hope not. Uh, I really well, hope that, <laughs> That's what all the fans are afraid of, the Disney thing. Now, um, let, let me ask you, but what about the the anime version? Like, who will be, like, a possibility that might keep on doing continuation of that story? Okay, so um, we, we're sort of jumping into questions that don't have context. So mm. if you can give me a, a couple of minutes just to give you the, the proper context of, oh. of the OVA, what, what it was created for, what happened, and why we haven't seen any more, it'll make much more sense to your listeners. Is that okay? No, yeah, absolutely. Please. Absolutely, Truly. please. Okay, so uh, going, going into uh, Captain Knowledge mode. Um, so uh, <laughs> back in 1990, the, um, Yukito Kashiro started writing this manga. Um, it was only, I think it was like only the second one he'd done, and uh, it was uh, based off a the first one he did, which had a character in it who was a police officer, and um, the the publisher it was either the publisher or somebody to do with your kid. I can't remember exactly the detail now, but this was back in '89 or something. They said um, that character is really cool. Uh, maybe you should write something about her um, because they didn't necessarily think that the rest of the manga really had, had the legs to, to do well. So he went, okay, I'm going to take this character and I'm going to develop her and see what I can come up with. And that created um, uh, Gumu or Gumu, depending on how you pronounce it. I'm, I'm not Japanese, so I, mm-hmm. I don't know the pronunciation, but it means gun dream. And the interesting thing is that uh, if you see the f- cover of the original manga, it has uh, the, the main character who in, in the Japanese version is Gally, uh, which, yes. uh, according to my understanding, there's no distinction between L's and R's in Japanese. So it could actually be Gary. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. odd. Was na- she was named after uh, Ido's male cat. So it could be Gary for all I know. But um, Gally uh, is the main character and he developed her. And uh, we ended up with the story that 
in in the West, in English, became um, Battle Angel Alita, which is what the manga's called in uh, English. So he started that around 1990, and... Um, uh, what they were doing in the in the early 90s was uh, if a manga started to get popular, they'd want to boost the popularity. So what they'd do is they'd start creating these short um, OVAs, uh, original video animations, um, which basically were there to advertise the uh, manga and get more people reading it. That was their primary goal. So if you look at in the West, you look at things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or G.I. Joe. They were com- they were animations designed to sell toys, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 true. In Japan, it's an animation designed to sell a manga. Yeah, but so, it's true, it's um, true. Every anime yeah. that I watch or something, I want more. And where you find that? In the manga. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. So you can look at lots of mangas from that time. You look and look at Ghost in the Shell. You, mm-hmm. well, these are the English names. I don't know what the Japanese names are exactly, but Ghost in the Shell, um, Appleseed, uh, a lot of those sort of cyberpunky mangas, they, they're the ones that I'm interested in, so they're the ones I can reference. But they all had um, anime versions done of them, and a lot of that was done to sell the, the manga. So uh, Yukito was still writing the original series at the time, which is nine volumes. Uh, the um, OVAs cover the first two volumes, so it's material from the first two volumes. But because it's only half an hour per volume, I mean, there's a hell of a lot more material in the actual manga than there is in the OVA. I so it's, it's a summary. It's the cliff notes, basically. It's to, yeah. to wet, you, wet your appetite and get you interested and get you in, and then you go back and read the manga to get the rest of it. Now. The problem was uh, Yukito was so busy writing his manga, and I'm glad he was because he put, you know, he put everything into it, heart and soul. Yeah. It's, it's a fantastic read. I yeah. cannot recommend it enough. Just, you know, um, you know, it, it's in places you'd, it'd be considered a hard R for violence. Um, so you've got to take take that into consideration. But, you know, if you if you... I mean, you can watch the news these days and see plenty of violence. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. a huge amount of difference, but there is a, there is a fair bit of fair bit of blood splatter and things like that. Yeah, and I want to point this out to the to the uh, to the, to our audience. Um, if if you are, because we we made an episode on Alita, yeah, and um, most of you are familiar or, or would be familiar with that movie. Um, if you watch the OVA, you'll notice a big difference right away. Because the OVA is 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 on the is on the on the gory side a little yeah so you would expect the manga would be overdrive on that of course so just just have that in mind when you uh, watch the OVA or if you decide to read the manga although uh, it's worth it yeah absolutely and I mean I mean it depends on the taste like I don't know if you're into the gory stuff like have you have you read Berserker. Um, no, I haven't. I've, I've got a very long list of things that I need to Berser- If you like fantasy and epic and like gory fights, Berserker is the stuff, you know? Uh, so like, and there's a lot of different types of manga too for tastes. Yeah. That's what I love about it. Well, to go back to, to uh, something that Max just said and, and before he continues. Yes. Um, the, I can see where, where they're, they're doing such a great job because how many times have we watched, me, me and you, uh, an animation? We, we have, there's a couple that we have, which I'm not going to name names because it doesn't really matter. But yeah. we watch the anime um, and we start probably in English. Um, 
we get to the point where we want more. Yep. We get a hunger for the story. I happen to just switch over to the to the Japanese version so I can get more. And then because you know the English takes a lot, you know they release the anim the Japanese animation faster. So I get to the point where I finish that. So now I still have hunger for the story. And what do I do? I pick up the manga. So I think that is clever. Yeah, it is. The way they do it. Because even nowadays, I think anime, it still has the basic idea of the OVA, which is because they don't release it as often. I mean, as fast. Mm -hmm. So by the time you can actually binge the show and, and still wait for the next episode to come in mm -hmm. and, and be so desperate to know more about it. And there you go. You're going to buy the manga. So mm -hmm. they're making money. Do you agree with that statement? Oh, for sure. All these things are tied in. And we can go over in a little while the thematic differences between the three mediums. But um, mm -hmm. all of these things, I'll, I'll just say that all of these uh, are based off a manga. So the manga is the starting point. But they're all, um, they're not direct conversions. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're a different take. And every medium requires a different um, style, and some things work and some things don't work. I don't know if you you know um, Douglas Adams and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Do, do you know that one? Hmm. The Hitchhiker's Guide oh, to the Galaxy. Yes. I know I that Robert has I watched. I read it. the book. Amazing. I book, I watched the movie. <laughs> huh? It's four books. Well, I read one book. Um, oh, you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have the other ones on my purchase. I actually purchased them. And I have them on, on my list. Um, but Giancarlo has not experienced the story at all. No. And I'm dying for him to watch at least the I'm movie. ignorant of it. <laughs> well, Hitchhiker's Guide is interesting because it's circular humor and um, very, very British humor. It's great. It's great stuff. Um, but the, the, why I bring that up is because... Uh, Douglas Adams was involved in the writing. Well, he wrote the novels, obviously. There's, there's four of them. Um, there's, a, there's a fifth that um, uh, isn't really his. He, Eon Colfer, who does the novels for um, Artemis Fowl, I think he finished it or, or he wrote something about it. I can't remember exactly. But it, it, was, it was tied into The Hitchhiker's Guide, but it wasn't actually part of it, I don't think. But there's four novels. And then there was a TV series in the 80s, which was great. It was very Doctor Who-ish in the production values. So um, very cheesy special effects, but nobody gave a crap because it was so good. Um, and, the, and then there was the movie, and there was also a radio play, right? And what um, Douglas Adams has been quoted as saying is that uh, I rewrote the, the story every single time for every different medium because it required it. It couldn't be a direct translation. You know so what? author saying, no, it can't be a direct translation. They're different media. The story has to be told differently. I, I really appreciate him doing that because I think that's the problem with some of the translations. Like, for example, we're talking about Cowboy Bebop, right? Yeah. And, and how, like, I'm really afraid. You know, Netflix is picking it up. They're going to come up with a show. And I'm really afraid because I love that anime and they're going to convert it. But the thing is, you know, from it could be from a book to a manga, from a manga to things don't work. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the original author, you know, involved where he actually rewrites, that's where we have the problems, mm -hmm. especially if you don't have the author 
you know, because I mean, how many movies have we seen uh, with, uh, well, I don't know, I think Stephen King is a different story, but there's many, many movies that have him involved that I'd rather just read the book. But I don't think he rewrites the story. He just kind of, you know, I'm not sure exactly what's going on over there because there's some movies that I like. But, you know, I think that's great. And I appreciate that him doing that because that that speaks from for his work. He's he's aware that the different medias medias required a different, you know, a different kind of care, you know, for it to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let, Let me give you another point of. Of relationship to this this idea before we move back to the OVA, but um, I'm not particularly young man. I'm in my early fifties now, um, so I was there when all this manga stuff was happening back in the nineties and quite well aware of it. But um, basically, what I found was when you're in your twenties, when you're younger, you read a story, you love it, and you're very hooked into that telling of that story. And if anybody messes with that, you get upset. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how the story goes. Yes. It's like this. And I think that's what a lot of the manga purists um, have trouble with. The, they know the story from the manga, and when somebody converts it into another medium and therefore has to change it because it's not going to work mm-hmm. frame by frame, they get upset. Now, I, I, my personal experience with this was Battlestar Galactica. I'm old enough that I saw the original Battlestar Galactica series when it aired in the 70s. In the 78 70s. and 80s? Or you just, yes. just 78? Uh, well, I saw both of them. But I'm, I'm more referring to the, um, the, the 78 version, right? Yeah, so I, I, I like that. Classic, better. campy sci-fi. It was great. And when I was a kid, you know, golden memories, nostalgia buttons pressed all over the place. It was fantastic. I have it on DVD. Um, so fast forward to the early 2000s and they redid it. And the first couple of episodes, I'm like, nah, nah. See, I was in my, my um, early 30s then, so I wasn't far from the 20s. And, and I was like, no, nah, no, nah, this isn't right. This isn't right. They didn't do it right. It's different. Uh, I can't deal with this. Mm. But I persisted. Yes. And after like half a season, I was hooked. Yes. And I went, my brain sort of went, this is a retelling. Yes. This is not yeah. meant to be the same thing. It's the, it's the same story outline, but a different retelling. And it's good. Yes. It's These amazing. stories don't need to be the same. Um, much like when you had um, you, you, your other recent Australian on, who was the director of that um, uh, Brolga oh, yes. uh, yeah. movie. Uh, fantastic pod, by the way. You guys really enjoyed that one because, you know, close to my heart being in Australia. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Those stories, it's, it's not every little detail that matters. It's, it's the, the mode of the telling and the the high points, the, the theme that you're trying to put across, the, the lessons that you're trying to impart from the story that are important. Um, and that is why when I looked at Battlestar Galactica, I went, okay, the 70s one was campy and fun, and there was a few messages, but it was very 70s sort of encapsulated. The 2000s was more mature, had a lot more depth. There was a lot more going on. It was very sort of, felt kind of like um, spy thriller, like back in the days when uh, the Cold War was going on. It mm-hmm. felt very Cold and it had a different different spin, but the story was still the story, and and the details had changed, but the story had stayed pretty much the same. It was great. 
Yes. And that's when I realized you didn't need to have the story told the same way in every single medium or even in the same medium over multiple takes. Everybody has a different take, but the story's still there. And that's what I took away from it, that um, rather than being hooked to a single version and saying, this is the one I, I grew up with, this is the one I understand, I'm not going to look at anything else, explore them all because they all have something new to bring to the table. And it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I, I'm I'm trying to, to get Giancarlos to watch the the series. I um, think that I'm in episode five of the 1978. 1978. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm very tempted to have him just watch the the new one because mm. he's more. Um, <laughs> Let me put it this way: yeah. I'm watching the 1978 for scholar purposes, you know, yeah. to learn to see the storyline. But like I like uh, good uh, scenes and effects too, you know. Yeah, he he's kind of like you know. I, I guess I can compare him. I can compare him to me in one aspect. Like for example, if I watch a medium, it has to be 4K or HD. Um, my eye it bothers me when I watch it in SD or like most <laughs> of the stuff that you find in YouTube. So I can't concentrate. It just doesn't fit in the story. Now he's kind of like like me in that sense where he wants stuff like you know, uh, the Expanse, the New Galactica. You know that style of visual uh, mm -hmm. instead of having the you know like the old Star Wars, for example, 1978. First, uh, but that's a funny thing. I like them, but they have kind of like the same. Uh, cinematography style, yeah. you know. So, but you probably enjoy the newer ones because it, it has more of a. Here's the funny thing, I enjoyed them up to the '90s. So, like, uh, episode four is the last one that I recorded. Episode four is the first one, 1978. So, episode uh, three. Mm -hmm. Up to that one, I like. Up to number seven, I don't like the new ones from Disney. Oh, okay, most that, most people share that. <laughs> yeah, but that's my personal take on it. They're not bad movies. Yes, just I didn't like the way they were made compared to the other ones. I even loved the, the actually the episode from four to seven. Yeah, they were great movies. Another example that I have is we, I, we started watching Doctor Who, and I'm watching oh, yes. it from nine uh, to no uh, season one, uh, episode one Rose. That's where I picked up. Uh, eventually, I'm gonna go back and you know watch the other ones you you have to get in the tardis and go way back man yes yeah. and, and a lot of people <laughs> have told I've me seen that. episodes from the 60s yeah so i'm trying to get Giancarlos to watch a series but you know how it is you know especially that from season one episode one it has that same kind of uh, cinematography style that i'm talking about kind of hard for me to explain so i'm really considering if i should have him watch season 13 first and then go back. Um, this show is so good. <laughs> I got my wife and my parents who do not speak any English to watch the show with me. <laughs> so it's, I, I don't know how to explain that one. <laughs> well, Doc, Doctor Who's one of those quirky shows that is a product of its, of its time. So you can go all the way back to the 60s and watch Doctor Who, and it's very sort of, it's almost 50s-ish sci-fi, which is, which is kind of cool in a retro kind of way. And I guess gr having grown up with it, it's another one of those nostalgia buttons for me. But okay. um, it has changed a lot, and um, it, it, it has suffered under the yoke of uh, BBC uh, work oppression, um, and it's, it's floundering these days. But um, 
I mean, it all depends on what you like. And if you can, if you can be prepared to view it through the lens of the time in which it was made, oh, yes. and think about you know the Cold War and what people were thinking back then, and you know the new the two thousands and how things have changed then, and now our current era with the the sort of the, the a lot of this woke business that's going on. Um, there's that lens. It's always got a lens that, that changes the way it, it, it comes out. Uh, and uh, going back to the manga from it, it, it's been written since 1990, and it has gone through changes as well. Kido Kashiro has aged. His way of looking at things has changed, and the manga has changed through uh, the years as well. So all of these things change. Nothing stays cemented in exactly the same format due to societal changes and basically growing older and seeing the world differently. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I agree that's 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 part I mean, I, I believe that if you don't um change the story with the times, um it, it just would not make sense for the audience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I I agree with that. I think creatives really need to decide well they may decide and then again they may not, but they have to to understand that um, the basis of storytelling is that storytelling. You're telling a story, you are entertaining. There may be messages within that story, but they shouldn't come before the story. I think the mistakes that are being made now are that they're putting the message out first and building the story behind it, and the message is obscuring the story. And the story is what we connect to. And if you can't see the story for the message you're not going to be entertained. It's not going yeah. to have its effect. Yeah. So entertain first and then pass on uh, the the messages within the story, but make it believable and part of the story. Um, I'll give you an example. On Netflix at the moment, there's um, Enola Holmes, uh, yes. which some people say is a put down of men because uh, – there's a woman in front and, and Sherlock's pushed to the back and she one, one ups him once. And some people don't like that because he's supposed to be the smartest man there is. But in the context of the story, she's really smart as well. She's, she's his little sister and she's got the brains of the family as well. Uh, Mycroft's there and he's not all that smart. He's more of a political animal yeah. and he's good in that sphere, but he's not, he hasn't, he's not switched on as these other two. And it makes sense. It feels grounded within the realms of the story. Uh, so um, the fact that the storytelling has come first and and the messages are in the background there, it actually functions properly as a story. Whereas if the messages were just pushed a little bit higher than the story, it would fail. And mm. that's what's been happening in Hollywood. The, the messages are louder than the story and then it doesn't entertain and it fails. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so, I guess to to return to the story. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's okay. No, that's, that's fine. That, this is this is great. This is what we're all about. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're all about. Um, so the the story. Um, one of the things that, for me at least, okay. I don't know if this is this probably a little slight or slightly different for you. Um, I remember the story and going back to what Max just said, how um, you know you you your your the story the first time that you're exposed to a story, especially something this old, um, it it has a very special place in your heart. So when I saw for me when I saw the movie 
which by the way i have to i have to say i was extremely excited when i saw the the movie was coming out and i did not understand the the, the big fuzz that people were making especially with the character of alita because of the big eyes i, I did not understand it maybe because you know like you know most of the people that were that, that grew up with the animated version um or especially the ones that read the manga you that's kind of what you see but uh it, it was very strange for me that like what would you reject i mean give it a chance you okay. know don't reject it because it looks like that i mean not real well number one is sci-fi number two she's an android so yes <laughs> so well, if you look at it a case of inflexibility mm-hmm. younger people can be quite inflexible about you know this is the story as i understand it i can't deal with another version life is a bit like that as well and, and you've got to remember that this movie is so well made the cgi is so brilliant that the uncanny valley is almost not there people claim it's not uncanny valley but it doesn't no no. the problem is that they see somebody with big eyes that looks realistic and they go i can't deal with this because it looks realistic not because there's uncanny valley there they're actually misdescribing it yeah yeah. and it's their their um non-plasticity of their their ability to to explore new things is what they're having trouble with yeah, yeah. I mean, they've, they've watched Disney for years and seen these big-eyed princesses and all yeah, that. Exactly. And because it's animated, it doesn't bother them. The moment it looks real, they just reject it because it doesn't – it looks real, but it's not, and that's what they can't deal with. And, so and I have to give it to them for – for because, for, I mean, it, it's very, very easy – to enter the the you know the uncanny valley like we mentioned when it comes to something like that like you know exaggerating in this case the eyes right the big eyes mm-hmm. um i have to give a big shout out to the the special effects department because i did not feel that at all and i don't know if i'm alone in this i mean what is your experience i mean i liked it i didn't find it odd or anything um at the same time she's a droid mm-hmm. so it's like it's not scientifically impossible you know like even yeah. even uh humanoid droids that we have nowadays that they use human skins mm-hmm. they could do these kind of modifications on them yeah but what, I, what i was talking about is like how some of those that you mentioned you know that they, they especially and this is kind of like the rule that I, I guess as as it grew up with the robotics is that the, the more realistic the um the the robot is uh the the more uh, what's the word that I'm looking for freaky it looks so wow. basically the way they explain this um phenomena is you your your brain knows that this is a robot that is not a human your eyes looks at it and sees you know a reali- the realism mm-hmm. so your brain it automatically looks for every it's kind of like nitpicking every little thing that happens because it's saying hold up a second something is wrong so that's why they call it like the uncanny valley where it feels really freaky really weird and yeah, there's, a, there's a gap between what you sense as a person and a simulacrum of a person because there's 80 percent of communication is non-verbal and it's in that 80 percent where you pick up what is and isn't quite right Mm -hmm. it's all the subtleties and people 
people with autism have a lot of trouble with this, and that's why they have a lot of tr- trouble dealing with social situations. Mm-hmm. But um, generally, people pick up a huge amount of information they don't even realise they're picking up mm-hmm. within within movements, eye movements, and all these little things. And the uncanny valley is that bit where you're sensing things that don't match what the broader sense of what you're seeing is telling you. Mm-hmm. So that looks like a person. If it was a still photo, I would swear that was a person. But they're not moving right. They're, they're, you see, this is an example. Uh, if you hang on to a chicken and move its body around, its head will stay in the same spot yeah. and its body will move because how chickens keep their eyesight from blurring is that they keep their head still. Human beings and, and like great apes and stuff like that don't do that. What what we do is we move our eyes. So you have micro eye movements to keep your vision steady, right? Yeah. So your head can move. Like we've got video going at the moment, so I'm demonstrating this to the guy. Mm-hmm. But I'm moving my head around and I'm keeping my eyes pointed at, at the camera. Mm-hmm. And you can see that my eyes will stick to the camera, but my head will move and it's all natural. Everything flows and it's okay. But if your robot isn't programmed to do those micro eye movements, You'll see a person there in a still photo, but as soon as they start moving, it's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's you wrong. Won't be able to, you won't be able to tell the person what's wrong, but there is something wrong. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it just doesn't work for you. And what doesn't work for you is the Uncanny Valley. The thing about the Alita character in, within the movie is that it works. Yes. Uh, Weta are gods when it comes to CGI. They, they keep yep. the living pus out of um uh, of industrial light magic they are amazing and, and you know fact, i i think Cameron is saying that he's moving his entire production facilities to new zealand to oh, be wow near. Nice. yes yes i was seeing about that it's <laughs> nice so and and i for some reason i want to i want to say that part of the reason why i feel that way when i look at the character in the movie is the way that they're filming it and and again let me let me say this if you're familiar with this this originally this this method originally happened or or it started with um creating video games so basically what it is is you give markers you put markers on on the actor um that may or may not have a suit on uh of course a suit works a lot better because it tracks your movements nowadays but um the camera follows those those balls that are attached to the person that are used as markers and so when you're looking at an animation uh which you could be using you know maya or any of those applications Mm -hmm. you can actually um link those um markers to specific points in your 3D model. So when they move, they move realistic. Now, you can still get this wrong <clears throat> doing it this way. So I, I guess it's, it's, you know, if you're using a, a movement suit, if you're using the, you know, how many trackers are you using? Yeah. So, and then you have the, the most important part, because, I mean, even if you get the movements of the body right. Face tracker. The, the, the face could still have that uncanny valley. And I'm not sure what they use, but their face tracking, it, it must be state of the art. Because when you look at this character, it you don't feel at all that you're looking at a, a real character. Yeah, and, and I, mean, I, I can I can fill in your gaps there, Robert, if you'd like. All right, I, please I, go ahead. I, 
Okay, so um, basically this was all started by Weta around 2001. Weta was created as a digital effects company for the Lord of the Rings. So that's where they came to be. Uh, Now, everybody knows how amazing Lord of the Rings was. Gollum character was the bee's knees at the time, right? And I will mention that the entirety of the pixels used to create the Gollum character was less than in one of Alita's eyes. Wow. Okay. So that's how, what we're looking at in 20 years, how the technology has improved. But uh, jumping hell. back for a minute. So um, the first uh, technology is called motion capture. As you mentioned, you wear a suit with the dots and the dots attract. Now you have to have multiple cameras in 3D to do it properly. Uh, for video games, they tend to use only one camera. Uh, and that's why a lot of the 3D characters in video games kind of look 2D animated within a 3D space. Yes. But what they do with movies is they have multiple cameras. They had something like 30 of them in every shot, filming from every single direction. So you can see every one of those dots at the same time. And the suit is actually really important because it's almost like a green screen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a gray screen for the person. So you can paint the person out and put the digital character in much easier. So that is called motion capture. And it hasn't changed a whole lot except for the fidelity of the cameras over the last 20 years. What they added, and this, um, it's only been properly realized in uh, the Alita movie, but it it was used a little bit before that, I think maybe in um, some of the uh, Planet of the Apes remakes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but uh, what they had for um, Rosa Salazar's character, which was a leader in the Alita movie, uh, two high-definition cameras on a boom sitting basically pointing at her face. She had dots marked down on her face, much like the dots yes. on the suit, but they were marked on her face, and they were taking two high-def camera shots of her face the entire time, and that's called performance capture. So I've more often in video games than in movies, but because video game production is, is somewhat on a, on a cheaper scale, uh, the faces don't look right. You get that uncanny valley because the, mo- the, the faces aren't moving properly. They're not smiling properly. The eyes don't match what the mouth's doing and all that sort of stuff. And that's that um, level of uncanny valley where your brain's picking up that this doesn't look right. Yeah. yeah. It's not. Um, it's not 100% a human movement. Like, exactly. I, like the eyes that I was describing before. It looks unnatural. Exactly. Um, and that's why it's uncanny. But the thing with this performance was that um, they captured her face and they integrated that face into Alita's face. They obviously changed it. They made the eyes bigger. They changed the cheekbones. They brought the chin in a little bit. But you can see Rosa in Alita. You can see her face. Uh, when she's waking up in one of the early scenes, you can actually see a scar on her nose, which is on uh, Rosa's nose, and there's a scar above her right eye, and that's on Rosa's face as well. So all of these things are there. Ro- Rosa Salazar has been quoted as saying, there are things on Alita that I wish weren't there because I wish they weren't on me. But they are on me, and they're on Alita. So... It's that level of performance capture which bridged the Uncanny Valley. Yes. And when you see Uncanny Valley, you're not describing Uncanny Valley anymore. You're describing um, this does not look real to me because it's been modified from the real to fit into um, what, was, what was desired for the movie production, for the creativity of mm-hmm. the movie. I mean, they could have, they could have taken 
Rosa Salazar's face and just put it on a leader, and it wouldn't have looked special. She would yeah. have looked just like anybody. Uh, but the whole thing about the special effects in the Alita movie is that they are so good that people cannot tell. And that's why um, Alita Battle Angel didn't get a single nomination in the Oscars, because the old farts in the Oscars couldn't tell the difference. They didn't know that they were looking at special effects because, um, well, they, they could tell that the eyes had been changed, but they couldn't tell anything else. The hair is now getting awards because uh, it was groundbreaking. All her hair is digital. It's yes. not real. Yeah. Uh, wow. And you cannot tell. It flops, it flows, it's got individual individual hair strands. Um, it's just amazing. And it's now getting awards, uh, you know, two years later for what they did for, for that movie because they've only just come to realise, hey, this is that good that yeah. we couldn't tell before. If you if you ever worked or are familiar with um, digital animation, you know that one of the hardest things is hair. Yeah, and 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 it is amazing that that we're looking at this and it looks real and yeah. it's animated. I mean, absolutely. You know, digitally animated. But the amount of work that they went into for the special effects is amazing. We. Um, uh, I'll just give your, your listeners a little bit of background, but um, I'm one of the organisers in the Alita Army, which is the uh, Alita Battle Angel fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a lot of work online. We have a YouTube channel which um, uh, has a uh, live stream every week, which you were on just recently. And thank you very much for joining us on that. It was no. a great discussion. But, um, uh, oh gosh, now I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, you, you know, now that you mentioned it, you know, whenever you have a chance, go ahead and tell um, our listeners how they can reach you. And and by the way, oh, we, yeah. we really appreciate you guys inviting us to that um, live stream. Absolutely. We, we had lots of fun. It oh, was, yes. what, three hours? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy in the chat there complaining about how long it was. But um, when you get discussing on something you're passionate about, hours just fly by. So yes, yes. Yep, it's true. What and I specifically got you guys in because you'd done a pod on all three of the movies and you were passionate about all three of them. So that's why I knew you were the guys to get in. We always try and get in guests that have, you know, skin in the game, as it were. We were uh, surprised by that part. I actually showed, showed Giancarlo, because in my mind, I thought we were going to go talk about Alita. Yeah. And then I looked and it's like, oh, John, oh, John Carter. Oh, my God, Riddick. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were really geeking out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're trying to tie all the fandoms together and, and, and get people from outside our, our limited group into into what we're doing and we're getting into what they're doing and, you know, just mixing all the nerdums up and, and having a great time doing it. Awesome, awesome. Absolutely. And, and how they can, uh, I don't know if you, if you can give, I already put a, a link to um, the Twitter account for all of you uh, listeners yeah. who would like to get involved. Um, we discover, thanks to Max, that we are part of the Alita Army and yeah. we are oh, very yeah. excited. Very, the, very excited. The, the um, uh, requirements for being in the Alita Army is basically uh, rule number one on the internet, don't be a dick. Yes. And um, the other thing is you want a sequel to uh, 2019's Elite Battle Angel. If you, if you can pass those two very low bars, you're in. Uh, that's basically it. So uh, we're, we, we're quoted as being the most positive fandom on the internet, and we, we want to keep it that way. So um, 
we're hoping that the uh, the trolls and the um, rage baiters uh, will basically find us too nice and go away. But <laughs> uh, yeah, we're we're just trying to have a good time, enjoying what we're enjoying, and and just keep rattling the cage of Hollywood and make sure they know that we're here and we want a sequel because we have money in our pockets and we want to spend it on more. Yes, of yes, yes. Please, oh, yeah. and like we said in our episode, you know, please part two, please. Yeah, it's so true. If, you, if you partake in Twitter, follow the at Alita Army, one word, um, no spaces or anything, uh, account, and that will basically get you hooked into everything. There's also a, uh, um, a petition which is scraping on 170,000 signatures. So, um, uh, wow. if you haven't signed that yet, guys, <laughs> please do. Uh, you could be the 170,000. Signatory, yeah, on that one. And if you do me a favor after the show, if you can send me that link, I can put it on the show notes. So if anybody's interested, you know, it'd be a lot easier for them to reach out. And we we have our YouTube channel that has lots and lots and lots of content. Recommend listening to it um, while you're doing chores because it makes the chores go faster. But uh, if you're into any of that stuff, we have lots and lots of deep dives and conversations about um, different things. In fact, we've got one coming up comparing Alita and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So that one should be interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely be listening. And, and so, I recommend everybody listening here, go ahead and give it a try. It's, absolutely. It's really, really good. And we, we had a lot of fun uh, being part of it, but um, I've uh, listened to um, quite a few of them. And uh, do yourself a fable and go ahead and uh, listen. So, but watch, watch the movie first because there's spoilers. Yes. Many, many spoilers. Yes. Yeah, we discuss everything. Definitely, definitely. And um, it, it go, and going back to what I was going to say is um, the the my experience when I watched the movie um, was you know they first thing you know and we already talked about this is the fact that it, you know it's not you know. Uh, panel per panel it's not scene per scene um so but the thing is you know the way that they they did it and you know not to you know beat a dead horse um because we already talked about this it, it was well done so if if you um it, I, I don't know what was your experience on that aspect because i know you watched the movie first yes and I know well, you guys this, haven't I, read the manga yet, so yeah. wait till you read the manga, then you will have a full comprehension. But absolutely, no, absolutely, and like, like I can tell you, I noticed a lot of changes from the movie that were like just ball moves from the director at the same time. Because, for example, that uh, motorsport that they play on the movie, it was not that on the on the OVA. Mm-hmm. It actually was like some chappy scenes, like yeah. oh. <laughs> boxing and fighting, straight up, you know. <laughs> and in the in the OVA, for example, I do not recall seeing uh, Alita having a direct interest in participating on that. She was fighting with with, with some of the guys in there because they were like kind of the goons. Yes, but mm-hmm. she's. It's not like she wanted to go and participate on the on the tournament or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So. It kind of leaves uh, Salem inconclusive, mm-hmm. but at the same time, if they're working on it and there's more content in the manga, that's where I need to go. Well, the reason why I was bringing this out, 
Okay, and 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 it's perfect that we have Max here because he 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 read the the manga. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the scenes that I remember, and, and again, just hear me out because although it's different, they're both amazing. You know, mm-hmm. so one of the things that I noticed is in the OBA towards the beginning, you notice the um, Ido um, finds this. The, basically the head or yeah. the upper torso of this cyborg. And the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, because he says basically like, oh my God, she's alive. Mm-hmm. You know? And I did not have much context on there because obviously I did not read the manga. Um, so in my mind, back then was like okay it must have not been long you know that she was discarded uh fast forward to the movie and we get a little filler which again i'm gonna have max fill in here uh where they explain that she was part of the war between mars and earth and basically she got to that point, I don't, I don't want to call it destroyed, but basically just her body got destroyed. Um, back when the, the war happened, yeah, which was... 300 years back? Something like, yeah, something like that. So then I'm thinking, how, how are you going to be alive that long, you know, in the garbage? In, that con- in, in those conditions. Common question. Common, so, common <laughs> so okay so that go ahead there's different levels of people watching a movie right people go in and they just get entertained and they skim the surface mm-hmm. uh and they take a bit of it in and they may not get like a battle angel is one of those movies it's like an onion it's got layer after yes. layer after layer and the, I love you that. Look, the more you see i've seen it 31 times now and and other bits and pieces here, but probably all the way through 31 times. And I'm still finding new things out. So I have so an hypothesis for that. Oh, you want to give it a try before he, he... Oh, yeah. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But supposedly she has a heart that can power a city. So mm-hmm. that doesn't make it possible that that body can be in a dormant state where it, which it preserves the... The and that that would actually make sense because the brain, it's is electrical impulses exactly. So so it preserves whatever integrity there is to that structure that is left of her body. Yeah, that's my hypothesis of how that is possible. That, that that's that's a good hypothesis. It's one that quite a number of people hold. Um, so. If you've read the manga as many times as I have, which, you know, is many, um, and seen the OVA, well, there's a lot less in the OVA than there is in the other two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the, the movie, but there's also two books written about the movie. One's a, uh, a novelization of the movie written from the original script, not the current one. Mm-hmm. So the current script was cut down from two and a half hours to two hours by Robert Rodriguez. That's what got him the gig, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the original script was written by Leita Calagridis, who we may be having on the live stream uh, in April, hopefully, nice. Christmas. Um, and uh, James Cameron. Now, James Cameron is notoriously overwrites. So he's got a thousand pages of notes. That's not the script. He's got a thousand pages of notes for a trilogy, 
he sent Robert Rodriguez 600 of them plus the script. So context and material. Nice. He, cut, he spent a summer cutting down the, the, the two-and-a-half-hour script into a two-hour script, which was, was enough to get the funding from Fox. They had to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to get that to make the movie. So um, uh, the, the movie is actually uh, the perfect storm of writers who wrote it for an R rating a director who came in who really liked it and cut it back and converted it to a PG rating, I scraped it through. I mean, it's yeah. amazing what you can scrape through on a good day with the, um, with the board of, um, uh, of censors. But, uh, <laughs> you know, t- turning, turning the blood green because they're cy- – I'm sorry, blue because they're cyborgs means that it's not real blood, so therefore it doesn't count towards the rating uh, and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but – you were saying before about how it was shot. It was shot. Now, the, the amazing thing about Robert Rodriguez is that he likes to do things in other people's styles, but he still brings along his own dynamic direction. Yeah. So he shot it as a Cameron movie. So if you, if you know Robert Rodriguez's um, back catalogue, you know that it's quite fantastical. There's not a lot of explanation about how things happen. The rule of cool is supreme. If it looks cool, it's the way it happens and don't think too hard about it. Yeah. Cameron's a a lot like me. I prefer internal consistency. There has to be a reason for everything. Um, And it has to to work and link together, at least within the context of what you're shooting. So um, uh, Rodriguez said, I'm going to do this as a camera movie, therefore it has to be internally consistent. There's not going to be any, I'll just do this because it's cool. And that was really important for me to really like the movie because, um, well, I haven't gone into my backstory, but I'm a trained scientist. Uh, I've been working in science for 30 years. Uh, I'm also a writer, so I have a great interest in story, as you've probably gathered from the way I've been talking about story. But I have a huge interest in story and how they're put together and internal consistency and the way you manufacture events in a story to make it interesting, twists and and um, um, the, the term for what happens in the movie. Now, this is a spoiler, obviously. I hope that everybody's watched the movie. But when uh, – oh, it's in the OVA as well. When um, a leader thinks that Ido is the killer yes. and follows and then discovers that, no, he's a hunter-warrior and he's actually a good guy, and then saves his ass because he was going to get, get his, his head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so that's all sort of – that's concurrent within all three versions. Slightly different way of telling it, but it's concurrent in all, in all three versions of the story. And um, that, that's um, a really important thing within consistency that um, – that those three, they're, they're important for the story, so they're consistent across all three stories. But it, it's the, the term is bait and switch, mm-hmm. and it's used a lot, and people really like it. They like to be misled a little, thinking, yes. oh, no, is this guy a bad guy? Because uh, there's, there's a level of knowledge of the character and there's a level of knowledge of the viewer or reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the most fun you have with something you're watching or reading is that you know more than the character. How many times have you sat there watching a movie, like especially a horror movie, going, don't go through that door. Don't, don't laugh. Don't, don't laugh. Don't, don't laugh. Don't do it. 
you know, and that's fun because you yeah. know stuff they don't know. And then when they find out, you go, see, you should have listened <laughs> to me. Uh, and you, you feel part of it. You feel part of it. Yeah. It draws you in. It's part of the drawing. Bait and switch is a classic technique where you draw somebody in saying, oh, I think it's this. And then the character and you at the same time discover, oh, it's not. And you go, oh, twist. Yeah. <laughs> makes it interesting. Awesome. And these are all storytelling techniques which I'm interested in as a writer. So I've used bait and switch plenty of times. It's wonderful. And everybody <laughs> likes it. It's really weird. It's one of those things that really resonates well with the way human brains work. But um, uh, getting back to the uh, to the OVA, um, it's sort of a, a stepping stone between the manga and the movie. So you'll actually see. Um, I, I'll give you a couple of for instances. Okay, so Shirin does not occur in the manga. You haven't read the manga yet, but she's not there. She isn't a character. She's not a thing. They put it in. Okay, I have to take another step back because I never actually finished answering your question about why isn't there any more animated Alita. That was a question you asked like 25 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. Completely off topic. So I'll go back to that for just a second because it ties into what I'm saying now. So um, Yakito was really busy writing the original series at the time. He wasn't taking a lot of notice of what they were doing with the, uh, the first two OVAs, the, the first two um, uh, half-hour um, instances which were covering the first two books so he was like the third or fourth book along and he was very very busy and he admits that he regrets not um keeping a closer eye on what they were doing they introduced characters they introduced sheeran who wasn't in in her his story at all at the time they killed off vector which didn't happen in the um in the manga, he's far more important further down the line. And um, as far as I'm aware, he's still alive in the current timeline that he's writing at the moment, 30 years later. So he's, he, he's had some issues that he's had to work through um, with his health, but um, he's still alive as far as I'm aware. So um, there's some big differences. And as I was saying before, when you're, when you're in your 20s and you're, you're creating something and somebody messes with it, you're very much enamored by your story. And if somebody messes with it, you can get upset about it. And that's yeah. exactly what happened with Yukito and the OVAs. So he was brought in to okay them before they were released. Uh, he saw that they'd made changes that he didn't know about until mm-hmm. that moment. And he wasn't happy. Yeah. And they said, it was too late. They're done. They have to go out. It's contracted. He said, fine, those two go out. You don't make any more. Wow. And that's why there wasn't any more at that point. And that was in the mid-90s. And then in 99, he gets a knock on the door. He opens the door. James Cameron is standing there. James Cameron is one of his heroes. He, he has been stated as saying he's watched Terminator 2 hundreds of times and um, Aliens hundreds of times, and he loves them. Uh, there's actually a face hugger in the manga uh, in the underworld. Skittering oh. through. Uh, um, there's other shots with... Um, Robbie the robot in a he's, he's sourced from all over the place uh, has, in the manga. Um, some of these things have been sort of removed in later tellings because they were copyright infringements. But um, at the time, you know, in Japan, you could get away with a lot of stuff. So he did. And he pulled all this stuff in because he loved it. And that's fair enough, too, I think. But um, uh, he. Um, He's standing there with James Cameron in his face, and James wants to buy the, the rights to 
live action and animated adaption uh, of the movie, uh, of, of the manga into Western, for Western audiences. And uh, Yukito has been quoted as saying, I couldn't exactly say no, he's my hero. <laughs> so he, he got Weeks paid by. a million yen for that. Wow. Um, he's been quoted as saying a million dollars, but he was, you know, being interviewed, and he's he's actually quite the introvert, so uh, he does struggle a little bit when he's being interviewed. And uh, he misquoted. He, he said dollars, but he meant yen, so it's a uh, hundred times less. Um, so it was about ten thousand US dollars at the time, I think, for the rights. Um, oh, that was that was pretty little. Yeah million yen or something like that. Um, so, um, yeah, he, he, he got some money out of it. It wasn't a huge amount. But, um, of course, there's all clauses in these sorts of things where if you don't do something with a certain amount of time, it defaults back. And I do believe recently uh, Western copyright law has been changed. So uh, after 50 years, it defaults back anyway. Um, it's null and voided after 50 years and returns to the original uh, creator. Okay. So, um, yeah, there's been a lot of, lot of controversy about that a year or so ago when it came in. Um, things like Terminator and stuff like that defaulted back to um, uh, Cameron, I think. Uh, got the rights oh. back after. Selling it to his wife for a dollar, who then became his ex-wife and he lost control of it. But, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Backing and forthing and stuff. It was it was kind of weird, but anyway, um, that all, all that aside. Um, so the OVA we didn't get anymore because of that, uh, and the rights now reside with Disney, and um, unless they decide to farm it out to a, a manga house like Madhouse, Madhouse would make great Alita anime. Um, I don't know that we'll be seeing more unless, uh, well, the the, the what we understand is that the live action rights are controlled by Cameron. Um, if uh, the Disney wanted to do a a series on on Disney Plus or Disney Star or whatever it happened to be for a more mature version, um, if they wanted live action, Cameron would have controlling creative rights. But they could do an animated version for Disney Plus. So we may we may see something like that. But then then they'd have um, they'd have uh, creative control and that could be a problem. Could, uh, be, could be a vanilla version of uh, Alita. I don't know how that would go by. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I want to see that. Uh, I don't know. A lot of people... See, the, the thing is, Disney is a huge beast um, and various parts of it are very woke and other parts of it, like the, the, the bit that Filoni's in control of, is all about story. And mm-hmm. guess which bit's making the money? So I'm hoping that Disney will start sort of moving back towards, well, story over message makes money. Let's do it like that and make the money because they've been suffering through COVID. They've written down billions because of parks and their um, cruise lines and everything. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're going to need to make some money. They're going to need to make some bank and they should be looking at, the, the, the Chapek, who's in control of everything there, he's, he's a dollars and cents guy. So he's not so much about, you know, social justice messaging. He's about making the thing work. So hopefully he will look at the people who are making the money and go, you get to do your thing because it makes the money. That's what I'm hoping. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's some things up in the air there, but 
we could see something animated to do with the leader, uh, but obviously the live action stuff is in the control of Cameron as far as I'm aware. Yeah. But we, should, we will see. Actually. Cameron, if you're <laughs> listening, please. You know, we're, we're waiting. Oh, Cameron, Cameron loves his, uh, his leader, I'm sure. Um, it's why he didn't just leave it shelved. <laughs> and um, I, I, well, the thing about a lot of movie productions is that uh, if you do you know of the Critical Drinker, have you heard of his, him? He's a he's got a YouTube channel. He does a lot of very on on point um, analyses of movies and storytelling. He's a writer as well. He's got his own series of books out. I want to look him up. Critical Drinker, very very interesting. He's got uh, you know one and a half million. Um, subscribers on YouTube or something like that. So he's, he's not small, um, but he's um, he's got his own opinions. I agree with a lot of them. Some of them I don't agree with. But uh, uh, in general, um, uh, he looks at these things and analyzes them on the basis of what works and what doesn't work. And that's where where you hear a lot of storytelling over message. Message is fine as long as it doesn't overtake storytelling. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry I'm banging on about that, but it's it's super important for actual entertainment. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. I mean, if not, there's not really a reason to remember the movie by, which is the story behind it. Movies should have a story to tell, always. Yeah, yeah. Well, stories touch you. Messages don't touch you. Messages just hammer on your head. Yeah. Trying, mm-hmm. to, trying to get you to take them up. It's true. It's true. That's total content. And I mean, I kind of get in a way how the fans that like the original material feel. I will feel the same way if somebody wanted to grab any of Tolkien's stories, make an animated series or something, and put something that is nowhere to be found in any of the books. You know? Oh, oh, you mean mean like the the Hobbit trilogy? Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I mean, they miss the whole point. Like, like you have the Hobbit trilogy, and it's a very short book, and they still didn't put many other things. Mm-hmm. They changed the way they happened. The same you thing. Have a whole podcast on the Lord of the Rings done was done right, and the Hobbit was done wrong. Compare and contrast. That's yes, and, and on top of that, there was a lot of stuff that was left out in the Lord of the Rings. Like there was, there was not a single mention about Tom Bombadil, for example. Ah, okay. I can I can give you an upshot on that. So Tom Bombadil was neither mentioned in the uh, was wasn't included in any of the movie adaptions because there was a seventies animated movie adaption of The Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, I watched that. Yeah, yeah. And and that didn't have Pom, Tom Bombadil in it either. Now the reason no. why most people, well, pretty much everybody who creates a a um, a take on the Fellowship leaves Tom Bombadil out. Tom Bombadil is actually... Um, He's a critical character in the story. Eh, not really. Um, so what Tolkien was doing was Tolkien wrote um, The Hobbit as a kid's story, right? Yeah. It had allegories. It was fairly simple. Uh, children, you know, from eight upwards could pretty much understand what was going on and enjoy the story while still learning a few things, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's good storytelling. It's, yeah. story, it's story above message, but there's still messages, and that's what you need. Then he started writing Lord of the Rings, and he was still working on that same context of aiming at, you know, twins. Yeah. And then he got into it, and he went, oh, hang on a second. 
No, 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 no. This this is a way more mature subject matter. There's people dying all over the place and and great big wars and horrible. No, kids, kids aren't going to be reading this shit. Um, okay, so I I got to write for a more mature audience, and he started that when he got to Bree. Okay, so mm-hmm. his context of writing changed when he got to the point of writing from Bree onwards, and you can see that. When, well, see that you can feel that when you're reading the novels. Yeah. Everything's sort of like happy-go-lucky in the Hobbitshire, or those is dark undertones about the ring. Uh, and then Tom Bombadil is a very childlike character. He's very sort of Humpty Dumpty. And, yeah, and he all. is. So, yeah. He's sort of like the, the vestigial remnant of the, the, child's, uh, the, the, the young person's story that was being written originally. And he didn't bother changing it. He didn't take it out because he liked it. But it doesn't really fit with the rest of the three novels, and that's why Tom Bombadil gets left out of all of the um, all of the movie adaptions. You see, but I still feel like he's a critical character because he's said to be the oldest living thing in the whole Middle Earth, and there's even theories that he might be the embodiment of the chantings of the Mayas, which were the angels of Iluvatar, which is the actual creator god. Of that universe, which is a bunch of stuff that is in the Silmarillion, actually, where, where you can learn. Uh, I don't know if you've read them. Have you read the Silmarillion? I, I, I know some of it. I think the, the Maya were above the Astari, which is basically the wizards. Yes. Yeah. The, like, yeah. like, like Iluvatar is the, the god, and then he has several angels. So much that actually Sauron is not one of them. Sauron was like a, like a high level ranking demon under Melkor, which was one of the Mayas, which was the bad one. Yeah, I've I've played some um, Middle-earth role-playing back in the 90s, and um, yeah, Melkor was a was a, a problem in an earlier age of Middle-earth. Yes. He, was, he wasn't around. Sauron was like his, his um, red-headed stepchild, sort of um, uh, a much lower level bad guy. But, but the, the point I was trying to, to people, make... Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's sort of like Marvel superhero power level kind of deal. Yeah, um, no, it, it's, it, imagine, it's kind of a god, uh, Malkor. Yeah. It is. But the point I was trying to make is like, so I do understand what some people felt uncomfortable, is pleased that something's completely changed from the main story, you know? So I kind of understand the sentiment behind it too. At the same time that I did enjoy it so far. Well, you can't fit everything that's in three novels, and they're not small novels, into three movies. I mean, the the theatrical versions of Lord of the Rings were long enough. The extended versions, like, I, I've done the extended version drinking game, and it's not healthy. Um, <laughs> it's like 14 hours of drinking. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't do it again. But, uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's a lot of material, and even with 14 hours of movie, you've still cut out a lot of stuff. So, yep, it's the same with manga. The manga is 30 years long, right? He's been writing it. There was a couple of gaps, but he's pretty much been writing it for probably 27 of those 30 years. Wow. And, and um, there's so much material, you could never make it all into movies. So, so I want to ask you for a ballpark. Is it just going to get me excited about it? I'm going to read the manga. How many episodes do you think there are right now or volumes 
Valium. Okay, I can, I can tell you this because I've had this question posed to me and I had to look it up. So um, I have the new box set sitting on my my uh, my Alita Reliquary over here. Um, I also have the original uh, Viz adaptions uh, sitting next to them. Um, I highly recommend, if you can, read the Viz adaptions. Uh, the new one, the 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 paper is is better, the printing is better, but the um, translation isn't. And I think that's got a lot to do with um, the ten percent rule. Cool. Uh, do you guys know the ten percent rule for um, copyright? I, I am. Okay, so I am imagining it's like if it's ten percent not accurate with what is being said, they're okay with that. Okay, so how it works is uh, when you take over a license, you have to be 10% different, at least 10% different from what's come before, okay? So um, if you look at um, Kelvin Star Wars versus, uh, sorry, Kelvin Star Trek versus normal Star Trek, the reason Kelvin Star Trek seems quite a bit different is because it has to be at least 10% different, okay? Oh. Names, change. The, the character relationships, you change the the stylings. You have to change a certain amount and satisfy this this difference when you when you take over a license from somebody else, or else you're just copying them and and it's no longer yours because you're basically re, re, revamping what they had. So there's the original um, translation, which is the Viz translation, which I think is the better one. And then there's the Kodesha translation, which is the later one when they took over the license to print uh, the anglicized version of the manga. So I I do actually recommend uh, for, for the better experience with the story, get the original. But you know, if you can only get the the, the latest one, then just just go with that. The story's there. It's just some they've changed some of the names and and. The actual line, um, uh, I do not stand by in the presence of evil, they've taken it out. Mm. Which was. Because oh. that doesn't actually occur in the bar, in, in the manga, it occurs on the motorball track in the third book, in the third, in the third volume. Oh. So, to answer your question, see. I could sit here with you for five hours and tell you the differences between the different versions. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that is because I've had to research books, the the the, the movie novelizations, because there's two. There's the novel of the book and there's a prequel novel which goes back earlier than the movie and gives you more of the the background of what happens in the movie, the elite the movie elite verse as I call it, and then you have the manga verse, and the OVA is just sort of a, a sort of a um, a quick animated take on the manga verse. So um, I've researched all of these things because I'm trying to write a uh, a fan novelization for the second movie. Oh, nice, nice. So um, I'm ten chapters in. I'm working on. Well, actually, I'm nine chapters in, but I also wrote a, uh, a prologue which basically covers the end of the movie with a slightly different retelling to get you into a leader's head. Um, to then move on to the novel because obviously novels are different from movies because in novels you spend a lot more time hearing what the characters are thinking. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that is the main difference between a novel and a movie. I mean, um, novels, uh, movies, sometimes you can hear characters thinking something when they can't, there's no reason for them to verbalize it, but otherwise you don't get into the character's head. You've got to view the information to get the story. Whereas in a novel, like I'll, 
if I like a movie, I'll read the novelization because you get inside the character's heads. Yes. And yeah. you yes. Don't know what you go, oh, that's why he did that. It it's a whole different perspective. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you, you get a sort of a deeper understanding. So um, I'm writing a novelization of what I think is going to be in the next movie. Obviously, not the novels are much longer than the, the movie, so it would have to be cut down. But um, I'm having fun with that, and there's lots of different ideas. Uh, I'll give you a link to that as well if you want to put it in the... Uh, awesome. The awesome. Book. Definitely. So, yeah. So um, highly recommend the, the earlier translation, but read the other one. It's, it's still worth reading if that's all you can get. Uh, you can get them on Amazon in, you know, dead tree format, or you can go digital um, through Kindle. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the Kindle versions are the new one uh, because they're not allowed to release the old one anymore. Um, but you could possibly pick up the old ones through um, uh, people reselling them, but they will be quite expensive. Ooh, uh, collector's um, value. Yeah. So there's there's nine volumes in the original series, which takes um, a leader up to an ending. Now, again, there's a big story behind it. Um, the end of the 90s, Yukito thought he was going to die. He was terribly sick. He didn't want his masterwork to go unfinished, so he rushed an ending and created the last volume, which is no longer canon. He's basically retracted it. You can get it in the box set, but it's not actually considered canon. So there's eight volumes that are considered canon in the um, original manga. There's a ninth volume, which is a sort of a rushed ending, which is interesting. Uh, there's some very good scenes in it, um, some stuff that I really enjoy, but uh, it's not considered canon because then a couple of years later he recovered. Well, he, he recovered from what he what, I don't even know what, what it was that was going to kill him, but he thought he was going to die. He recovered. Uh, he, he went and did some other stuff and didn't enjoy it as much as a leader. And went, you know what? I want to continue the story. I know I finished it, but I'll just recant the end and keep going. So then he started creating Last Order. So Last Order is, get this, 19 volumes. Nice. Wow. Uh, so Last Order is a big read. Um, and um, where the first manga, the, the original series, is deeply embedded within 90s, 90s counterculture, dark, gritty, um, bloody cyberpunk. Nice. Um, I think that... Um, you know, as the decades wore on, Yakito's influences changed, and he was watching things like um, uh, Dragon Ball and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And you, you start seeing these other – well, his art style morphs a little bit and changes. There's, there's different art styles. Alita gets all sorts of different bodies that can do different things throughout the mangas, um, and the power levels change, and uh, – Basically, she goes from what's almost an anti-hero in the latter part of the original series to basically uh, savior of the earth. Oh wow! <laughs> um, it, it 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 does take a a, a very sort of uh, meandering course, and um, she's basically fighting for the future of Earth. Uh, you discover that there's a whole bunch of stuff going on within the solar system. Um, there's all sorts of really nasty societal um, Blood. Uh, I'm trying to think of a word that would properly describe it. Being a writer, I like to try and use accurate wording. Um, societal norms that today would be considered ab- abhorrent 
Um, the one that really jumps out is uh, they've invented this technology called Methuselahization, which basically stops you aging. So you're functionally immortal uh, uh, after this treatment. Wow. You, you're probably more akin to the elves in Middle Earth. You live for thousands of years and you age really, 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 really slowly. But probably something nasty will happen to you and you'll die because mm-hmm. it's cyberpunk before you age to the point where you die. But, um, yeah, people affect, are effectively immortal. And, of course, you, you kind of get a feeling from that that that's where um, uh, Nova in the movie is saying that he's immortal. So all of this stuff is picked out of, of the manga. And um, I'll, I'll just jump back for a second and say that where the OVA differences from the movies, the movie feels more mature because they had the entirety of the original series to, to pick from. And they've picked little bits and little hints and stuff that tie it all together better in the movie from the entirety of the original series um, than what was available for the OVA, which was only the first two volumes. That's all they had to work from. And they knew nothing yeah. about Motorball. That's why it wasn't in there. Hadn't. They hadn't had, didn't have access to it, and they didn't have access to a whole bunch of other little um, nuances in the original series manga, which could be pulled into the movie and tie it together more and make it feel more grounded within the cyberpunk universe of a leader. So that's that's an advantage that the movie had of coming much much later. That oh. it had all the material to draw from, not just that very small pocket at the beginning. Um, so getting back to the manga, um, the, uh, the 19 volumes is sort of like a combat diary. Um, it's a little bit of an adventure at the start in Zalem, uh, mm-hmm. where a leader finds out what's actually been going on up there. And um, as you'd expect, uh, Yakito being Yakito, he turns everything on his head. Um, and then they find out that there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on in the solar system. And then she goes off to Kathiris, which is a city on the other end of the space elevator from, um, uh, well, it's Tafaris and Kathiris in the manga, uh, but it's uh, Zalem and Juru in the original Gunnam and the movie. Um, Juru's at the top, Zalem's at the bottom. If you put them together, you get uh, the Jerusalem space elevator. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Naming comes from. So um, she basically goes and, and fights in this tournament called the Zenith of, Zenith of All Things Tournament, or Zot. And uh, it happens every 10 years or something, and it's a solar system-wide event where everybody sends in a champion. And whoever wins uh, gets the opportunity to declare a, a, a new uh, political entity and everybody else has to respect it. Um, so Alita ends up fighting to legitimize um, the, the surface dwellers of Earth because they've just been ignored. Um, in fact, um, Zalem turns out to be a huge spoiler. Sorry, Zalem turns out to be sort of like a, a vestigial component of the solar system, and they don't really give a crap about it anyway. Um, <laughs> they the force, and then they didn't care about it anymore. Um, so yeah, you find out all these massive things going on. But yeah, there's it, it's sort of like a combat diary, and there's all these combats going on, but there's all this story being told behind it, and the question of what is it to be human keeps coming up over and over and over again. Nice. Um, and there's these massive revelations and things that turn on their head three or four times. And um, a, a couple of friends of mine who were movie watchers who, like you were going back and they're going to read the manga, they're sitting there going, 
Oh my god, why did you tell me it was going to be like this? Oh, my heart just got ripped out. Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Storytelling. I I gather it's a little bit kind of like what I experienced when I read uh, John Carter. Um, How he, you know, goes from a prisoner to like a chieftain to like... The top top of the top of our (laughs) zoom. Yeah, so Alita, I mean, that gets me a little more excited to read the manga because that's one of the favorite things that I like about the stories of uh, John Carter and how he climbs up uh, the ladder, Mm -hmm. as as you may say, to be... I I, I will say that Alita, Alita is never a leader. She doesn't like it. She's a Ronin. And Yukito has stated that her character is Ronin. She tries to operate outside of the laws and the, doesn't want to be in control of anybody. She just wants to see the right thing done. Um, she struggles. She has dark mm-hmm. moments. She gets depressed and, and has to fight her own melancholy and her questions about herself and who she is, what she is, what she's done. She has to come to terms with her pre-awakening um, self and she doesn't necessarily like who she was. This is in the manga. And she has to come to terms with that. And she's done some pretty horrible things and caused lots of death. And she has to come to terms with that. And it's it's quite epic. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah. And having told you these, these broad strokes doesn't really spoil the detail because the devil's in the detail. And oh, yeah. There's so much to enjoy with this manga. You you don't know what you're missing, man. You're, oh, you're, my God. It's like it's like that roller coaster. Like if you really like roller coasters, it's like that roller coaster that you've been watching built from very far away, and it looks absolutely maniac. And you're going to get on that sucker, and you're going to ride it. And you, it's like the biggest roller coaster in the world. And that's what the manga's like. Nice. Wow. wow. Nice. Because after the 19 volumes of Last Order, there comes what he's writing, still writing to this day, called Mars Chronicle. And Mars Chronicle is seven, I think it's seven volumes at the moment, and he hasn't even got up to the bit where Alita nice. starts learning Cancer Kunst yet. So there's so Oh, so there's two, t- two storylines actually being written. Yes. So there's the, the, there's the in inverted commas, present storyline, which is continuing forward in time, but he does jump back into the past. Oh, I love that. Nice. Alita, oh, nice. Alita goes back to Mars, which is... Her, her current time, if, if you consider the story, current time of the story, and also her past. So she's reminiscing her past. Yeah. And he does actually spend a lot of time in her past, and you find out where she came from. And ooh, there's another one that sort of blows the top out of your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't go any details, but it's, it's pretty amazing. But we want to know about her, her background. Yes. Because just yes. for the flashbacks and everything, we're like, we want more, you know? Yes, yeah. yes. So and that's going to be amazing. This is something they didn't, they didn't touch much on the uh, OVA. No. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be able to see. Um, again, some background. Back, yeah, so, some background, especially for me where my starting point uh, was the OVA. For you, I mean, you got it made because you you actually watched the movie first. Yeah. Um, so going back, and I'm sure that you caught some of the things that were not spoke from the OVA, but we're definitely in for a treat by, you know, picking up the manga. Heck yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I, I have to say that I feel like I'm, I'm in the best position because I read the manga over and over and over and over again. Yes. And then I heard the movie was coming out, and I'm like, <gasps> yes. Uh, 
God, I hope they don't screw this up. Yes. You look at all the other, you look at all the other anime to to Western movie conversions, and they're not very faithful, or they're just, you know, blatant crash, cash grabs, and and they're just terrible. They're a waste of time. Um, even like I've recently, because my son's seven year old, seven years old, I've recently gone into watching um, Avatar: The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra with him. Yeah, uh, we actually came in through the back door of um, uh, the Dragon Prince, which is by the same guys. Um, all three of those are fantastic storytelling. I, I want to get him into the Dragon Prince. Yeah, I have it queued in, so I'm ready. Push it to the top of the queue. I mean, just after <laughs> the <main. laughs> I just I, I've been asking him to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender. I'm really stuck for with Doctor months. Who. <laughs> <laughs> and he started watching it, he had to finish it, and then he just jumped on Korra. Doctor Who is taking most of my time. And, and I'm waiting for new <laughs> seasons for Dragon Prince. Character. <laughs> you know, people complain about the love story in Alita because it was rushed. And and admittedly, for, from a, uh, a maturist point perspective, we don't rush into relationships generally because we've done that when we were teenagers. But these are teenagers. Yes, yes teenagers that's true. In yeah. the bed with each other. So I don't see a problem with it, but people who are older have a lot of trouble with remembering back and putting themselves in the shoes of their younger self to look at things from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, people people are very mired in their own current perspective of their the time point in their life, um, which is why you know old people go, "Oh, back in my day, we were never <laughs> did." But now you're older, you don't think about it like that. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question, and I'm going to be the first one who actually asks and answers. And then I want you to answer. And then finally, we're going to have Max answering. Question is, for someone that is new to the Alita universe, which we probably have discussed this before. It's like, if you haven't seen the movie, where have you been? Um, the Which is the order that you would recommend someone about, you know, across the three mediums. Um, my answer, which I'm going to answer, and I'm, it's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say OVA, movie, manga. Then you're going to answer. Me? Manga. And? One, Af- two, three. After manga, they can watch the movie. And the OVA... They can watch it for filling in. Okay. Now, Max? Okay. Uh, being a scientist, I have to take multiple points of view, so I'm going to have to give you more than one answer. I apologize. Okay. For somebody who's younger, teens or 20s, movie first. Okay. Because the movie will either tell you you like this or you hate it. Uh, if, you're, if you're emo and you've got a dark heart, you, you may not like it because it, it's a little bit... I mean, there's lots of bloodshed and all that sort of stuff, but it's, a, it, it's not a super dark take. Um, maybe if you're, if, you're, if you're really sort of, you know, down dark and, and, and exploring the depths of depression sort of person, manga would be a better start. I think as an older person coming to it for the first time, manga is the place to start. Manga, then movie, then anim, anime. Mainly because That's what the I anime... Said. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I agree. <laughs> the '90s, and it it hasn't aged that well, in as much as it's very '90s anime esque. And if you're not 
really into 90s anime, you, you won't like it that much. Yeah, there's there's yeah. nothing wrong with the presentation. And that, again, might have been one of the reasons Yukito axed it, because he didn't like exactly how it was presented. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't know that about, you know, how they rushed the OBA and, and they in, in included things that he didn't agree on. And yeah, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that about. Yeah, they, they write a, writer's roomed him out of, uh, <laughs> out of some of his um, uh, IP, I think, and uh, he didn't like that. Oh, but then my. again, if, you, if you'd ask him now, he might have a different opinion of it because as you get older, you mellow about, ownership of story and and the necessity of it being that one version that you accept and you won't accept any others. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, um, Yukito now, because he's only two years older than I am, um, he said, uh, I'm very happy with the movie. The heart of the leader is in there, and that's what I really wanted. Nice. Nice. So... Particularly, all those people say, oh, Yukito won't like this because it's not exactly like the anime. Uh, sorry, exactly like the manga. Um, back in his 20s, I would probably have agreed with you. Now in his 50s, he's got a different take on it, which is why I said, depending on how old you are, you should come at it from a different order. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Nice. So since you're the, the newest one in here, I mean, I saw, again, I have a different perspective than Max, obviously, because he read, I, I don't know what happened to me, you know, 1993, I was 23 years old, I was exposed to the OBA in a, in a different way. Um, so it, it kind of has a little, you know, like a special place Plays in my in heart, heart yeah. kind of like, you know, what we discussed, uh, Flash Gordon was mm-hmm. for me. Um, now you're the newest one, obviously in this whole thing, and you watched the movie first. Um, how do you feel, um, about the story when, obviously, I mean, we already discussed you, you, you love the movie, but the story as a whole, now that you're experienced to at least two mediums and and we both are need to be experienced onto the third one and best, Mm -hmm. but what is your, your take? You know, what comments can you what came to your mind when, when now that you have seen both mediums um, about the story of Alita? Well, I, I do favorite, and I don't know if I'm going to get hate for that, the movie over the OVA. Mm-hmm. I prefer it. It's not that I dislike the OVA. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I like more on the OVA uh, the more graphic and realistic mm-hmm. parts on the fights. Uh, so that kind and of went missing. the manga. Exactly. That's what I feel. I'm gonna love the manga more. Yes, me too. And some of my favorite uh, animes, I did that. I went straight to the manga, so I just get an enrichment of my experience by watching animated. But I know what's going on and what's the background of everything I'm watching already. You know. Hey, yeah. hey, I, 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 I bags dibs on coming on when you do a episode about the manga because I'm gonna really enjoy your takes. Oh nice, yes, nice, nice. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely do one. And, and now I have a, a question for you, Max. It's a slightly mm-hmm. different question. Um, mm-hmm. You're obviously the most experienced out of the three of us here, um, being exposed multiple times for all you know through all three mediums. Um, if, if there's one thing that you can say, and, and you can out, you can elaborate this. It doesn't have to be a short answer. But if you if you have to say one thing um, about the story in combination you know, across all three mediums, uh, what would that be as your experience with the story? 
Well, as I as I detailed recently for um, the second anniversary of the movie's opening on Valentine's Day, um, I, I actually started writing articles for Comic Watch, mm-hmm. which is uh, a um, fandom uh, supported. And why I say supported is it's not a, not a paid gig. It's people who love um, comics and and manga uh, writing about comics and manga to inform other other uh, fans about what's good and, and what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 sort of a fandom run reporting service. So it doesn't have okay. that. Um, oh, we've got to be clickbaity to get clicks because, you know, we've got to drive advertising to make money. It's, yeah. not, it's not about that. It's, it's sort of like, um, you know, a charity organisation. They, mm-hmm. they have a different way of doing this because they're not forced into making money. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they collect money and help people, but they're not forced into making money to pay their shareholders. And, it, and it's that sort of a, an ideal in that we're giving back to the, to the fandom Mm-hmm. Uh, in in a positive way, in saying this is what I liked about this, and this is what I didn't. And just to go one step further, um, the difference between critic and and critique. Um, so critics these days tend to be running on the the term that critic comes from criticize. So they criticize everything that they watch. Oh, this was bad about it, and this was bad about it, and this was bad about it, and they don't give a level. Um, take on it a critique which is what critic actually comes from not criticize there's a, there's a subtle <laughs> yeah. difference between those three words the 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 origin of uh, a critic is from critique which is an even discussion about a subject good yeah. and bad exactly exactly yeah. criticizing you just have a degenerative element yeah. into the yeah. whole purpose of it but, I mean, cr- critics these days drive agendas. They've got their own agendas and they're driving those agendas and they either praise something crazy out of proportion because it's got the agenda that they like or they dump on something because it doesn't. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times these days they're dumping on the, the, the movies or the, or the material that puts story above message. Yep. But that's the stuff that entertains us. Yeah. That is why you go on Rotten Tomatoes and you go, Oh, Alita Battle Angel's got like, it's got 92% at the moment. It had 94 back when it was showing. 94% um, approval rating from viewers, but it started out at 43% from critics and crept up to 61% just inside the, the good level. And you see that with so many movies that the, the, um, the, the audience scores way higher than the critic score or the critic scores way higher than the audience score. They yep. just don't agree. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because critics are running an agenda and audience tell you what they liked and what they didn't like. Yep. And we see that a lot. I mean, how many times have we discussed about the ratings on uh, Tomato? Yep. Uh, Rotten Tomato, uh, where yeah. I just look at the audience. I don't even look at the, the actual, you know, tomato ratings anymore. No, because it's not related. It's not correlated. doesn't really give you an idea of how good really the film is or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of critics just want to be edgy. I mean, they've all got um, uh, a um, ulterior motive in their critique. And they're criticizing. They're not critiquing. That, bu- that violates the whole integrity of their purpose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the whole problem with people 
especially in in media, not being taught context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard the saying "context is king"? Yes. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. It is so true. And you know, I wasn't taught it. And I picked it up in my mid thirties, and I'm like, "How come nobody ever taught me this? Yeah. It's so bloody important. It's it's the most important thing about communication is context." Yeah, yeah. And a lot of these critics have one context and they drive it like a car at full speed. And it, it, as, long, as soon as you can recognize context, you see it. You see that they're running a, a woke context or a, a SAW context or a, um, oh, I'm going to bag. You go and look at, at, at particular critics, the way he's um, critiqued, in inverted commas, because it's not really a critique, a particular director's movie, and you can immediately tell he doesn't like that director. Mm-hmm. So everything he says about that director, and and the, the problem is that they can't they can't critique for an audience. They're criticizing for themselves, and that's what it comes down to. They can't step out of their own um, context. They're not so being like, biased. If I was giving a critique. I would never call myself a critic because I don't agree with most of what they say. Um, but if I was if I was giving a critique of something, I would say, okay, on the plus side, there's this. On the negative side, there's that. That is my personal context. If your context is more like a young person, you might find this. If you're older, you might find this. If you're, you know, come from a particular background, you might find this. That is a critique. It's stepping out of your own personal context and your own personal um, uh, agenda that you're driving mm-hmm. and actually talking about the thing as a critique, as a level discussion. And it's not what they don't do. No. <laughs> You'd be lucky to find 1% of critics who do that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I would have to, like, if you have not, to all our listeners here, if you have not um, watched, read uh, the, the story, I strongly recommend it. Um, like I said, the OVA has a very strong place in my heart. The movie was fantastic. Yes. It was amazing. Um, and I am in for the ride because I am I'm picking up the manga. So if you guys do yourself a favor and, and pick up. Um, you know, re- watch the OVA or uh, get the manga. Get the manga. Get the manga. <laughs> and and, and so the, ma- the manga is hard R for violence. There's oh, uh, there's a couple of sexy spots in it, um, but that was more fan service because it was a requirement in the nineties. It's a whole Japanese manga thing. There was a certain amount of well, you got to draw sexy women to get the guys in thing yeah. going on there. We, um, we see yeah, that all the it's, time. It's, a, it, it's mainly a hard R for violence. Um, mm-hmm. There's next to no swearing in it. Um, it's but the violence makes up for it, does. right? Yeah, well, it makes up for violence. People's heads exploding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lots of that. Awesome, awesome. Um, I, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm speaking for Giancarlo's here, and, and I'm sure he's going to add to this. But um, we really, really appreciate. That you come in on our show to talk about this, um, and and yes, really appreciate, an yeah, and and it, we really appreciate, and we're lucky that we found you on Twitter, you know, when you listen to our episode, um, because we uh, we have learned a lot 
We um, wouldn't have no, known about the manga. Exactly. If it wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So thank you uh, yeah, so much. I, I, I got to say that I learn a lot from you guys as well. Um, I'd have to say that your, your Alita episode was probably uh, the one that had the most slips in, in, in the factuals. Um, mm -hmm. I found your, like, I, I've only listened to certain ones because I haven't seen the shows yet. I, I want to have an understanding of what you're talking about before mm -hmm. I listen to them. Definitely. I, I have on, high on my list of watches is um, Ex Machina. And oh, I oh my God. That. I want to watch Ex Machina <laughs> and then, then listen to your episode to get your take on it um, as I'm building my own take on it. But I really appreciate your podcast in that the way you look at a property and I wouldn't say dissect because it's too hard a word, but you appreciate the different elements and the different levels and you can go into the sort of uh, internal consistency of it and you, you have takes that sort of, you know, they're not super opinionated. Mm -hmm. They're quite reasonable and they've always got a basis. It's not like I didn't like it. Let's move on. It's always, um, well, I got this out of it, and like like your um, uh, Flash Gordon one. Yes. Um, I I'd seen Flash Gordon at the cinema back in the I think it was early eighties. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Um, it was way back then. He loves it. And um, I actually went to see it because I knew that Queen was doing music for it. That was what got me in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I I had never read any Flash Gordon comics except for a couple of little strips in the in the daily newspaper. So they're so short that you can't really get a feeling for the, any story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really loved it. Um, and I I totally got where you were coming from with the sort of the the campy let's have fun with this nature of the way that you had these really good actors with a really shitty script <laughs> and, and they had to make something of it and they had fun with it. And, and that sort of harkened back to its era, which was the thirties, which was great. So mm -hmm. yeah. And, and you got all that. And so I really appreciate your takes on, on these properties and I'll be listening avidly to all of the ones that I've actually experienced the material for. And if I haven't experienced material, I'm going to go and find it. <laughs> and I, and I, I can tell you as well as uh, our listeners, a little background story in that episode is we actually, I actually listened to um, uh, the uh, Geek Cave podcast and um, they actually had an episode on Flash Gordon that I listened to. I, I listened to those guys um, all the time and it's kind of, it was so much fun to um to to listen to their points of view on 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 that property so i i reached out to them and i was um we were actually very honored that they decided to come in our show and and we can all all four discuss and it's kind of funny because um one of them is just like Giancarlos. they had not you know didn't see it originally i saw it you know back then just like one of the guys so we had that that same interaction where you know one was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest movie ever. And the other one's like, okay, it was all right. <laughs> and I, I love that interaction. So that's how that episode was born. It's like we never did this episode. I love this movie so much. It's like, let's go ahead and do it. And, and for all of you guys who have not listened, and this might be your first uh, episode on, on our podcast, that's basically, you know, we, we're uh, a converse, we, we have a conversation that is almost reactionary. Mm -hmm. 
So we, we try to keep it light. We try to keep it casual because that's what we like. That's mm-hmm. we really love that. And again, let me let me thank uh, Max again so much for coming onto our yes. show, and hope. And I'm sure Jim Carlos will ring second bell here and saying, "I hope this is not the last time." Oh no! Yeah, I'll, I'll come back anytime, guys. Uh, preferably something I know something about because I don't like um, you know just speaking out of my rear end but uh yeah anything that anything that i can help you with um let me know and i'll i'll jump on and we'll we'll do this again awesome awesome and we're gonna go ahead and put some of uh links uh, that we talked about in the show on the episode notes so you guys can you know reach out to to uh, max and you can reach out to the alita army and also the the for the petitions if you can send me that link and i put it on the on the show absolutely can, can I leave you with one thought? Definitely. Absolutely. Please. It's a general thought about media and, and people's enjoyment of it. Everybody has their own context and their own point of view, their own position in life and what they've had to deal with and, and you know, their baggage and all that sort of stuff. And they will bring that along to anything that they view and that will color what they see. There's nothing, there's nothing out there that 100% of people will like. Yes. I mean, the Lord True. of the Rings trilogy is, is beloved by most people who've seen it, but if you're not into fantasy, it's, it's like 14 hours of, oh, my God, when does this end? Yes. Uh, so you have to be interested in that particular type of storytelling and that particular flavor, the genre, um, before you're going to get something out of it. And then there's the likes and the dislikes about things. No, um, no movie or manga or anime is perfect, but there is always one out there that's perfect for you. Oh, yes. Yes, that's true. Definitely. You will find one that you enjoy. Not everybody else will agree with you. Uh, if you're accepting of that, then you can enjoy many, many geekdoms out there, including the Alita one. Join the Alita army and, and help us get a sequel. We, we're a great bunch of people. Awesome. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. No worries. Well, this is the end of our show for now. Please let us know if you liked this episode. And let us know if you have any idea about which topics you would like us to discuss in our next episodes. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Remnant. And if you like this podcast, share it. And don't forget to rate us in your favorite podcast platform. This will help us grow. Thank you. See you next time. This is Science Fiction Remnant, signing off.